God is so good. If you have your Bibles open with me to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, I'm preaching a series called Escape Room, and we've been talking about how to escape certain things in your life, whether it's addiction, whether it's temptation, whether it's uh, just a terrible circumstance you're finding yourself in, you need a way out of it. We're trying to help you get a way out. Amen? According to Scripture. So today I want to talk about the power of community, the power of a team. Uh, I know this is a cheesy acronym that's been used many times before, but um, some have said team stands for together everyone accomplishes much or more, right? Together everyone accomplishes much or more. So uh, we all need people in our lives. Newsflash. You need somebody. You need somebody around you, somebody to help you, because with somebody else you can win. Okay, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 20. But now indeed there are many members, yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather, those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on those or on these we bestow greater honor, and our unpresentable parts have greater modesty, but our presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body, having given greater honor to that part which lacks it, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. And if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. If you don't think every part of your body matters, walk to the kitchen late at night with all the lights out <laughs> and catch your foot on the kitchen table and see if your toe doesn't matter to you. Amen? Every part matters. And in the context here, you know, Paul's talking about uh, unity in the church because he was talking to a church that was very disunified. They were fighting over everything. Paul said, some of y'all are following this evangelist. Some of you are following that evangelist. Some of you are even following me. Paul said, my Lord, I wish I wouldn't have baptized any of you because you've just made it into a competition here. You need to be unified. Then he talks about how they were abusing spiritual gifts. And he says, no, 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 spiritual gifts are just different aspects of the same body. One person has this gift, another person has a different gift, another person has a different gift, and all those different gifts join together to make one powerful and strong body. Amen? Amen. So I've been preaching this series, Escape Room, and uh, someone reminded me recently, they said, have you ever been to an escape room? I said, technically, no. And he said, well, you're not qualified to preach this sermon. So I said, okay, thank you very much. So I scheduled a time, and Friday night, me and my kids and uh, some friends went to an escape room in Virginia Beach. That thing's hard. That thing's difficult. I mean, it's, how many has been to an escape room? Oh, great, three, four, five. Maybe this is something you can do on a weekend with your family. It was really interesting. Because you get in there and they give you clues and you have uh, 60 minutes. You have one hour to get out of the place, okay? And uh, they're like, Dr. Hans, we need your brain on this. I'm like, no problem. <laughs> so we go in and we get to the first clue and I put my glasses on and I'm sitting there. Okay, I see what this is doing. And, and 
10 minutes later, I'm like, I have no earthly idea what this clue is about. I'm completely lost. But I started sizing up the team before we went in. I knew I had my sons-in-law, and, or son-in-laws, or sons-in-laws. All the above. And I had them with me, and I'm like, okay, Axel's a thinker, and he's quiet. Brayson will kick the doors down if we can't get out. I need both of these guys. And so, you know, but, hey, it was a blast. And I realized, could I have gotten out of it by myself? I'm going to say no. If they would have given me 12 hours, maybe, but there's no way in Texas I could have gotten out of that thing in 60 minutes by myself. I needed some friends around me. And same thing with you. Whatever you're walking through, can you get out of it by yourself? Well, yeah, you and Jesus, yes. You, you have all authority and all power in Him, sure. But I'm telling you, if you get the right team around you, you're going to get out of things a lot quicker, and, and, a, and, a, and, and it's going to be better for you. Can somebody shout amen? amen. So I'm going to give you three points this morning. I'm going to give them to you up front, then we're going to we're going to parse them as I go along. First of all, I want to talk about community because you need a community to win. Community is God's idea. Community is God's idea, and God moves in community, and you need others to win. Okay, so let's talk about community as being God's idea. First of all, if we think about God in the Godhead, the Trinity, we have in Scripture, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And if you look at it, it's a mystery but in Scripture, Father is called God and identified as God and worshipped as God. The Son is called God, identified as God, and worshipped as God. And then the Holy Spirit is called God, is identified as God and worshipped as God. But these three, it, it, it would be incorrect biblically for me to say, but the Father is the Son or the Holy Spirit is the Son. That would be uh, going outside the bounds of Scripture. But somehow, th- those three exist in mystery as one. And they exist, and I know it's hard for us to stretch our minds around it, but th- God exists in community with Himself. And He expresses love and is love and has known love before the worlds were ever created. So when God created mankind, it was really an overflow or an expression of His love. Isn't that beautiful? When God created us, we were really an overflow and an expression of His love. So that tells me no one can tell us that we're here by random chance and selection. No one can tell us that we have no purpose or destiny on earth. No one can tell us that there isn't a story with our name on it that God wants to fulfill in our lives. So that means you have hope and you're here for a reason and God's got you still breathing and living for a purpose and hallelujah, you're going to fulfill it in Him. Can somebody say amen? Amen. God, you're an expression of His love, an overflow of His love. And then what did God do when God created humankind he created man and then he said you know what it's not good that man's alone so I'm going to create a helper for him that's suitable for him so God created a family 
God created a family. And then the family became the primary unit upon which God would build all society. It's built upon a family. Then he told the man and woman, he said, be fruitful and multiply, cover the face of the earth, take dominion over the earth realm. So God had intended to push forward humanity through the nucleus of a family. No wonder Satan fights the family like crazy, huh? No wonder he fights the family. It's God's intended means of pushing society forward. If we had no families, society wouldn't move forward. Or it would move forward in a disjointed way. Right? So, and family really is a community. It's a community of people. One man said that, you know, I realized what Paul was talking about. I die daily. He said, that's marriage. Because once you're in a marriage relationship, you're being discipled, brother or sister, whether you realize it or not. Because you're dying daily to serve the needs of your spouse. Amen? And after 30, 40 40 years of sharpening, you should be a lot better. Not bitter. Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. So, but the family, God's idea, Trinity, God. And then the church. Let's start with Israel. Israel, in the Old Testament, God called Israel out out of all the tribes of the earth. God called Abram. And then out of Abram, he created the nation of Israel. Then out of Egypt, he called them out into the wilderness to trek all the way to the promised land. And in the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, they were called the ecclesia, which is the called out ones. So out of all the nations of the earth, God called out Israel, made them a community and had his hand upon them and his blessing upon them as they trekked all the way to the promised land. Now what's interesting is when we come to the New Testament, the New Testament writers use that same term to describe the church. The church is the ecclesia. The church is the called out ones who make up a community to do the will of God, where God lives, where God dwells. We are a community. Then if you go to the book of Acts, chapter 13, I think the model church in the book of Acts is the church of Antioch, not necessarily the church in Jerusalem. And what happened to the church of Antioch? It's interesting. I need to read this. I didn't plan to do this, but I need to read this, especially where we're at today in Elizabeth City. This is what the church is to look like. Acts chapter 13, you remember Paul and Silas were separated, Paul and Barnabas rather, were separated unto the Lord here by the Holy Spirit. But this is what the Bible says. Now in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers. So first thing we realize is the church at Antioch was charismatic or spirit-filled. However you want to describe that. Full gospel, Pentecost, whatever. They believed in prophetic utterances. They believed in the gift of prophecy. And there were teachers... And Barnabas Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manan, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, so he's a high-class guy, and Saul. And if you dig down into those names there, there were different nationalities 
or different ethnic groups in the church in Antioch. Study the history of the church of Antioch. It was made out of the Jewish, the Jewish diaspora, and then different people came in. It was Hellenistic, and the Greeks had settled it, and it had all. It was, it was, a, it was a metropolis. It's a metropolitan area. Many different ethnic groups. And then what happened? The Bible says, as they were ministering to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit spoke and said, Now separate unto me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. And they sent out missionaries. So the church was, first of all, charismatic. The church was multi-ethnic. And the church was missional. That's what the church is to be today. We're to be spirit-filled, believing in all the gifts and miracles and signs and wonders. We're to be multi-ethnic, open to every nationality that God wants to send to us. And we're to be about God's mission going forth into the harvest fields. That's another sermon I won't preach right now, but there you go. How did I get there? That's the community now. We are now the community that God's placed his hand on. God is community. The family is community. Israel was community. The church is community. Evidently, God intends us to live in community with one another. Years ago, there's a famous uh, writer. He was a monk. He was a Cistercian monk from Bardstown, Kentucky. He lived in a monastery called Gethsemane, and his name was Thomas Merton. Thomas Merton wrote many great works, but he wrote one work based on a famous phrase called, No Man is an Island. And it's interesting that he would write that work because he lived in a monastic community that was silent. They didn't speak to each other. So here's a man living in silence in contemplative prayer, but he writes a book and says, no man's an island. You can't do this alone. It takes a community. It takes a community. We're selfish and really kind of pompous if we think we can do all this on our own. You, it, it, you really, in an hour you're not going to get out of an escape room by yourself. Unless you're just a savant. Or just a really good at games. <laughs> Come on, you need a team. You need community. It's God's idea. Because God moves in community. God moves in community. He moves in prayer in community. He moves in winning the lost in community. He moves in, uh, in uh, obeying his word and hearing the word preached in community. Listen to this. Jesus said in Matthew 18, I also tell you this, if two of you agree here on earth concerning anything you ask, my Father in heaven will do it for you. Can somebody say amen? amen. Somebody look at your neighbor and say, Lord, help the pastor. They've created a COVID vaccine, but not one for pollen. <laughs> Can you shout amen? amen? Thank God we're in a church with Kleenexes, though. Amen. Hallelujah. God uses community to bring his word. We preach the word in a community of people. There's an old saying that says the Bible is not of any individual interpretation. And I know what they mean by that is that we, we all read the Bible and we all interpret it for ourselves, but yet that isn't the final word. The final word is when we get together in community. We get the theologians in. Get the Bible teachers in. Get the, get the evangelists in. Let's see what the word says. And then it's sharpened and it's interpreted in the context of a community. It's why we have conferences. It's why the denomination I work with, we spend 
we spend usually two years working on a bylaw statement that goes to the general floor of an assembly that's voted on. Not saying that has to be that way, but it's our attempt to try to get the word interpreted appropriately in a community of believers. Amen? And then prayer. Think about prayer in a community. All of us can pray and hopefully are praying by ourselves. And it's a powerful thing. I get along with the Lord and it's absolutely sweet to me. Some days sweeter than others. I just get before the Lord. I built out a room just to pray in. And I've been going there every single day just praying in the room, just me and Jesus. And it's sweet. But I'm telling you, when I pray with you guys, it's different. When we get together in community and pray, it's just a different species of prayer almost. It's a different aspect. There's a corporate anointing on us when we come together. And there's something when we agree on, and we start worshiping together and we start praying with, like we did with Greg this morning, we start praying like that, man, it's like exponential power comes on our prayers and they're supercharged. This is why you can't really do church alone. We're working very hard to reach people. And I've had an opportunity to reach people all around the world through the internet. It's been absolutely amazing. But it doesn't substitute community of the church. It doesn't substitute us getting together and agreeing and praying and having that power. And then finally, evangelism happens in the community. All of us can win the lost individually out there in the world, and hopefully we're doing that. You can all share your testimony. You can tell someone what Christ has done for you. Hopefully you can lead someone to the Lord. One of my good friends that works with me here in the church called me a week ago, and he said, Pastor, I met with someone and uh, they had questions about the faith. They really didn't believe. I sat there and showed them evidence and showed them evidence. And at the end, I said, would you like to pray with me and accept Christ in your heart? So the guy said, yes, I would. And he led them to the Lord. I said, come on, brother. Come on, man. I love it. So we can all do that. But when we all get together and determine we're going to win the lost then, man, it becomes powerful. It's exponentially increased. When all of us get together and say, this is what we're going to do to win Elizabeth City to Jesus, and we come up with a plan and we agree together, man, God moves on that thing in an exponential and powerful way. That's why I believe in revivals. I'm kind of old school like that, but I still believe in having times where we just get together, an intensive time in the presence of the Lord, and we all come together with basically one purpose, and that purpose is to see the lost saved and I think for all the churches that are stuck and churches that are that, that are infighting and they're not seeing anything happen all, my number one recommendation would be get your eyes off of each other and get your eyes on the harvest field and go out and see somebody saved because when one person comes and gives their heart to the Lord in a congregation it supercharges the whole congregation that we say oh somebody came to the Lord somebody gave their life to Christ man and it makes us realize oh yeah that's why we're here right we're here not just to soothe each other and pet each other on the head we're here actually to win the community we are God's arm of evangelism in this area area. Somebody give the Lord a praise. So God moves through community. God moves through community. And finally, we need each other if we're really going to win. Okay, we need each other. I, I, I noticed when we were in the, the escape room Friday night that we all kind of individually went and kind of did our own thing. Or maybe two or three of us together working on one clue and somebody's working on another clue here. But as time kept ticking down, 
I remember we got to like 17 minutes or something, and we're like, oh, snap. And we all started working together. I noticed we all stood around working on one clue together because the time, there was an urgency placed on us. Then we unlocked another room and we went into this other room and we knew we're like, oh, we're getting to the last, we're getting to the end, come on. And then everybody's gifts started coming out. And then we were able to unlock the final clue and go back and we were able to unlock, the, the goal was to unlock a safe. And at the end, we unlocked the safe with nine minutes left. Yes, I probably wouldn't share that testimony if we didn't win. But nonetheless, we unlocked it with nine minutes left. And believe me, it took a community. You need a team to win. Michael Jordan had to have a coach. And he had to have Scottie Pippen. And he had to have Dennis Rodman. And he had to have a team around him. I mean, he couldn't just do it on his own. He could almost do it on his own, but he needed a team. Dale Earnhardt. Come on, NASCAR fans. Dale Earnhardt had a, had a car builder, an engine builder. He had a coach. He had an owner. He had a pit crew. He had, he had even team members out on the track with him, and they would help each other win, right? Everybody needs a team. I used to race motorcycles, and we would race Enduros, and Enduros, you're completely by yourself. You're in the woods. I mean, 100 miles out in this race, and you're out there. But you know what? If you don't have a pit crew to help you gas, you're done. If you don't have somebody helping you, you're, you can't do it. You're done. Somebody has to meet you at certain stops, and you're done. I remember I sprained my leg, and I stopped at a certain stop, and one of my friend's dads was, was there, and he gassed me up, and I said, man, I've had, I wrecked my bike. I've had an injury. He said, well, pull your boot off. So, so I pulled my boot off, and I saw that this ankle was swelling, and he said, put the boot back on. And I thought, I know he's going to say, Hans, we'll get you some help here. But he said, now, put the boot back on and finish the race. And he said something that's really true. He said, if you don't finish this one, you'll never finish another one. So I got back on my bike and I finished the race. I went through a wicked wood section where I could barely hit the gears. But nonetheless, I finished. Hallelujah. Went on to race another day. I remember one time I timed out on some road down in Damascus, Virginia or something like that. And here my dad helped me. I ran out of gas. Timed out, but my dad was there to help me. you got to have a team to win. Can somebody shout amen? You've got to have a team around you. Listen to what the Bible says about the power of one Another, 1 Thessalonians 5, encourage one another and build each other up just as you are already doing. Hebrews 10, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. When's the last time you sat around your house and thought, man, how could I get people to love each other better? How could I get people to motivate it to just go do something good for one another? The Bible says to do it. He says in James 5, 16, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. One of the most powerful principles you have is the principle of confession. If you find someone you can trust, a trusted counselor, a trusted friend, a trusted prayer partner, an accountability partner, and you go up to them and say, listen, man, I'm having an issue. And, and you can trust them. They're confidential. You can go say, I'm having an issue. 
I'm being tempted in this area or I've fallen in this certain area. Can you pray for me? Here's what happens. Satan works in darkness. And as long as you keep that thing in the darkness and no one knows about it, he's got you by the throat. But when you bring it out in the light and confess it and get it out, then there's an opportunity for you to be set free. You got to confess it and bring it out into the light. That's why he doesn't want us coming to each other. He doesn't want us confessing like this. It, I'm going to give an altar call right here in a second. And I'm going to ask for any of you who haven't accepted the Lord, if you'd like to respond, to raise your hand and pray a prayer with me. And here's what the devil's going to do He's going to talk to you and say, Don't do that. It's going to be embarrassing. You're going to give your, you don't want anybody to know what's going on in your life. You know what? Who cares? This is between heaven and hell. This is between you and God. So why don't you just go ahead and open it up and bring it to light and say, I need help. God, come to my rescue. And when you do that, God will come and bring the resources of heaven to you and will change your life forever. Paul said in Galatians, Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by sin... You who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path and be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Share each other's burdens. And in this way, obey the law of Christ. Listen, he said, if you think you're too important to help someone, you're fooling yourself. You're not that important. I love You're really not that important. Notice what he said, one-third of the one another passages in the New Testament deal with church unity. Jesus said, be at peace with one another. Don't grumble among one another. Paul said, be of the same mind with one another. Accept one another. Wait for one another when gathering to eat at church and taking communion. Don't bite, devour, and consume one another. Don't be conceited, provoking one another to envy with all lowliness and gentleness and with long-suffering. Bear with one another in love. Be kind to one another. Tender-hearted. Forgive giving one another even as God forgave you in Christ see that no one renders evil for evil to anyone but always pursue what is good both for yourselves and for all do not speak evil of one another confess your sins to one another another third of the one another passages deal with love for one another he says love one another through love serve one another tolerate one another in love. Greet one another with a holy kiss. We'll hold off on that for now. Be devoted to one another. Another 15% deal with an attitude of deference among believers. Give preference to one another. Regard one another as more important than yourself. Serve one another. Wash one another's feet. Don't be haughty, but be of the same mind. Be subject to one another. Close your, clothe yourselves in humility to we need a community. We need a team that works with one another, spurring each other on to works, to love and greater deeds. Can somebody shout hallelujah? hallelujah. The power of one another. The power of one another. The power of, the power of agreement. Just think about that. The power of agreement. What happens when we come together and just agree? What happens when we come together and agree? The Bible says in Acts chapter 4 that Peter and John went out and they were preaching the gospel. Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 3, they healed a lame man at the gate. And then the, 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 the authorities got really stirred up and mad at Peter and, and John. So what they do? They arrested him. They brought him before a tribunal. And they said, never speak again in the name of Jesus. And then they let him go. And what happened? They went straight back and had a prayer meeting. And in the prayer meeting, they're not praying, God, deliver, get us out of this town. 
God, help us never to say your name again. No, they said, grant unto thy servants, going to quote King James here, grant unto thy servants boldness that signs and wonders may be done in the name of thy holy child Jesus. Give us more, God. Give us more fire, more boldness. And then it says, they went out, and then they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and the place where they were gathered together was shaken because they came back together in agreement And the whole building they were meeting in was shaken, and God gave them the world. God gave them the world. Can somebody shout amen? Amen. Jesus said, again, I say to you, if any two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. If any two of you agree on concerning anything you ask, the Father's going to do it. Listen, if any two of you agree... Concerning anything that you ask, the Father's going to do it. If any two of you agree. I don't know. You can pray by yourself, but there's something crazy cool that happens when you agree with somebody else. And then he said, and then the next statement is, and where two or three of you are gathered in my name, there I'm in the midst. So isn't he in our midst? I can go home by myself today and Jesus is with me. Yes, but in a different fashion, he's with me when I'm with two or three of you. There's something corporate. There's something exponential. There's something powerful that happens in community. I remember a story in the Bible. It's, it's in the book of Acts chapter 16 where Paul and Silas end up preaching the gospel in Philippi, Macedonia. They lead a lady named Lydia and her family to the Lord. Then there's a demon-possessed girl that follows them for days. She had a spirit of divination. She was telling people's future by a demon. And then Paul turns around and casts the spirit out of the girl, and the authorities get mad because their way of making money was taken away, and they cast Paul and Silas in prison. But not only in prison, they sent them into the inner prison, like into solitary confinement. And not only that, but they put their feet and hands in stocks. And you know how painful that must have been? But the Bible says about midnight, Paul and Silas, Paul and Silas, where any two are gathered in my name, touching and agreeing, Paul and Silas began to pray and sing praises unto God. And as they began to pray with the power of agreement, the Bible says the earth was shaken and their shackles fell off and every prison door was open and every prisoner was set free because two men came into agreement. Is somebody hearing what I'm saying this morning? Hallelujah, come on somebody. There's a story in the Old Testament where the children of Israel went out to battle against the Amalekites. And and at the forefront of the battle was Joshua. He was the battle commander. He's fighting. Moses goes up on a mountain so he can oversee the battlefield. And as they're fighting, Moses would extend his rod toward the battle. And as he lifted up his rod, Israel would win and Joshua would win. But Moses got tired after a while and his rod became heavy and his arms went down. And when that would happen, Joshua would lose. So what happened? Two men came out of the background. One named Hur and one named Aaron. And they held up Moses' hands so that they could win the battle. Even Moses couldn't do it on his own. It took an Aaron and it took a Hur. It takes a team. It takes community. Can somebody shout amen? 
The Bible says in Ecclesiastes, though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him, but a threefold cord is not easily broken. One can put a thousand to flight, but two can put ten thousand to flight. There's a few hundred of us in here this morning. What if we came into agreement and begin begin binding and begin loosing and begin agreeing and begin bombarding heaven? I'm telling you what, there's power in that anointing. There's power in exponential anointing. There's power where two or three are gathered. Take 300 Holy Ghost filled people. There's nothing There's nothing in Elizabeth City that's impossible for us to do in the kingdom. Come on, somebody. Oh, come on. Give the Lord a shout. Hallelujah. Yeah, put your hands together. Just give the Lord a praise. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Come on, say it out loud. I need somebody. Come on, say it out loud. I need somebody. You need a prayer partner. You need an older saint that can speak into your life. You need a younger person that you can speak into. You need a peer mentor that's just about like you are so you can share hearts with. Okay, everybody shout amen. We're going to close in prayer, but I'm going to share this. I shared it this morning. And, you know, I went through all my struggles last, not all my struggles, but I went through a lot of struggles last year. And uh, I'm a very private guy, and I process privately. I'm, I'm an introvert. I like to just go alone and just think through things on my own. But there's a man in our church, and uh, he leads a prayer team that we pray every week, and they pray for me all through the week. And he'll send out texts. And that guy would call me, and sometimes I didn't feel like answering the phone. I, I, I confess, some people I just didn't want to talk to. And he'd say, Brother Hans, I know you don't want to talk to me. <laughs> I'm calling you anyhow. Tell you I love you, and we're praying for you. And this guy had lost his wife. I participated in the funeral and uh, had walked, and he said, this is what's going to happen to you. You're going to feel this. You're going to encounter this. And when this happens, here's how you're going to have to respond. And everything he said, I experienced. You know why? Because we, once, you've, once you've walked a road, you know the way to lead someone down that road. So I grew up on 90 acres of mountainside in Appalachian Mountains, and we used to have paths we would walk. Me and my cousin would visit each other weekly, and we had a path we'd walk. We'd ride motorcycles on that path. And during, during the summer years, it was, only, it was just beaten down by our foot traffic. But we knew the way. I knew where to watch out for snakes because I'd seen them there before, and I hate snakes. I knew where there was a dip. I knew where I'd have to go down and where the road was washed out. You know why I'd traveled that hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times, that path? But I could lead you down that almost blindfolded because I'd walked the same road. So my friend Mike Shreve says this, and I, I think it's something to think about. He says, if you've helped someone, be, if you've been delivered of something, you earn the right to deliver somebody else out of it. Because if you've been down that road, you can empathize, you can sympathize with somebody who's been down the same road you have. But it takes someone leading you who's been down that road. It takes a team. It takes a friend. It takes someone who knows what they're doing. I, I, I didn't, you know, during 2020, I don't think I flew at all. But I got back to flying. Well, I flew at the end of 2020. 
and uh, thought about what I heard some older guys say one time. They said, when I get on that plane, no offense to young pilots, but when I look at the pilot and I get to see a glimpse of him, I want to see a little snow on the roof. (laughs) I want to know that guy's been through a few ups and downs, and he knows how to respond when it comes. I don't want somebody to his first flight. (laughs) You need a friend that's been there and walked that road before. Amen? Joshua had Moses. Elisha had Elijah. The disciples had Jesus. Come on, you need somebody that's been down the road. Oh, hallelujah. This is a good word. Y'all take them. Let's all stand. We're going to pray. And then we're going to baptize some folks. We need community. We need community. Father, I thank you for your word this morning. Lord, I just pray a blessing on everyone here. Lord, especially those trapped in the escape room. They've been trying to get out, but they can't find a way out. They have these incessive, just consistent, pounding thoughts. Maybe it's an addiction they're dealing with. It's a temptation. They, they just keep falling to, keep falling to. Lord, right now, show them, the, show them the way out. You said you're faithful. You won't allow us to be tempted above what we can bear. And let them see the open door. Let them see the other room. Give them the way out right now in Jesus' name. Lord, I pray even as I've preached this morning and these, the folks have heard it, that they've thought of people. Or I pray you bring it to their mind now someone they can call, someone they can talk to, someone they can confide in, someone they can go see, that can pray for them, that can counsel them, that can set, that can deliver them, set them free. Let them think of that person. Give it to them in Jesus' name. Thanks so much for watching us online. We're so blessed to to live in an era where we can come to you uh, on this platform and be able to preach the gospel and worship with you right in your home. I don't know where you are today with the Lord, but uh, I want to close this time with prayer. And whatever needs you have, let's bring them to the Lord right now, but especially if you're not serving the Lord. If you've never accepted Christ into your heart, right now's the time to do that. All you have to do is open your heart and say, Lord, come in. I believe Jesus is Lord. Forgive me of my sins. I want to change. You make that decision in your heart, then God's going to come in and he's going to do the rest. Romans 10 verses 9 and 10 says, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, then you'll be saved. In the book of Acts, it said, call upon the name of the Lord and you shall be saved. So let's pray for these two issues right now. Okay, pray with me. Father in heaven, I open up my heart. I repent of all my sin and I ask Jesus into my life right now. And I thank you that my sins are gone. And I thank you that my life has changed in Jesus' name. Now, Lord, I bring before you all the needs of the audience that's watching right now. Everyone who's hurting, they're struggling, they have issues going on. We bring those needs to the throne of God in the name of Jesus. And we ask you, Father, to meet them, to bless right now through the power of your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody can say amen. Hey, we love you. Thank you for following us. Thank you for watching us online. I hope to see you again.